Oh, these are your sabotages. Okay, so these oh. are the sabotage tokens. <laughs> yeah. So like one's a cigarette butt, and the other's like a, a washer, uh, and the other is like the a broken glass. Oh, that okay. is so gross. I think there was some, I think there was a wad of spit in there. <laughs> Them. Oh wow. I love You're that it's go... a screw. That is my that's my all time favorite right the there. Is a, is a I, bolt, which I, I actually found in in a burrito from a store that no 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 nameless. No, I remember this. A bolt this long. No people. freaking. Are, can we way. say that this is a store that specializes in low quality tacos? <laughs> Restaurant okay. kitchen horror stories okay. are uh, yeah. ugh, they they give me the shivers. Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we get orderly as we align our shamrocks high to low in lucky numbers. Next up, we wedge, weasel, shimmy, and slide our buildings into perfect position in my city. And lastly, we grill up steaks and veggies with just a pinch of sabotage in the cook-off. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. What's up? And Joe Unfried. Hi there. Welcome back, Joe. Glad to have you. <laughs> Mike is on vacation this week. Happy vacay, Mikey G. I hope you're having fun. Our first game up this week is Lucky Numbers, designed by Michael Schacht, published by Ravensburger in 2012, and the new edition, Tiki Editions, in 2020. Number of players, 2 to 4, and a solo mode. Ages 8 and up, playtime 20 minutes. Okay, Ed, tell us what's in the box. All right, on the cover of Lucky Numbers, you see a Bunch of lucky charms with numbers laid out like a bingo board. Inside the box, you'll find 80 clover tiles numbered 1 through 20. Four boards and two rule books. One for the regular player count and one for solo mode. And that's what's in the box. <laughs> you're, you're like the Don Pardo of... Uh... Which game first? I thought Ed McMahon had joined us. <laughs> yeah. right. Wow, that's a good company. Don Pardo, Ed McMahon, Ed Povolitis. Well, before we find out if Lucky Numbers is a four-leaf clover or just a three-leafer at a funny angle, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Lucky Numbers, each player has a four-by-four four grid. For each row and column of the grid, tiles must be placed in numerical order. On a turn, you take either a face-down tile from the pile or a face-up tile from the table. Your options then are Number 1. Place this tile in an empty space on your grid. Number 2. Swap this tile for a tile already on your grid. And number 3. Discard this tile face-up on the table. Just muck it. The goal is to be the first to fill all 16 spaces in order to become the luckiest lucky numbers player in all of Lucklandia. Bingo! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except bingo's maybe trademarked. We should come up with a different word. Bingo trademarked? What? It might you be. You can tell that to every church hall yeah. in the country. <laughs> yeah, but they have exemption status, you know. You guys played this game without me. Did? Sad, sad, sad. We played this game on Board Game Arena, and you can see it on YouTube. How much luck was involved in this game? Luck can crush you like an ant. 
especially in the very beginning when the first four clovers come out on the opening diagonal. <laughs> Is that true, guys? Yeah, you start the game with four clovers, and they can be um, unhelpful. Let's just say you're probably looking to swap out some of those positions quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did have like two 17s and two 19s once. Oh, yeah. See, because remember, the point is you've got rows and columns and everything must be in numerical order. Mm -hmm. So that means to the right of the number has to go higher and below the row must also increase. Right. So you kind of can box yourself into certain scenarios in which you may have only one option to play a certain number. In order to increase your chances, you better start swapping out some of those clovers to make more favorable openings for yourself and then only a only a certain limited number of clovers are available to you each turn so you either have to take what's left in the discard pile meaning other people's leavings or a brand new tile right yeah and you you have to watch the spreads that are there if you have a 10 there you you don't want to stick an an eight on the other side of an empty spot and then you can end up hamstringing yourself looking for the nine that never comes. Right. I see what you're saying. You got to watch your spreads. Yeah. yeah. So, Ed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you were talking about how you can do a bit of denial in this game. What do you mean by that? No, in the beginning of the game, <laughs> you're just trying to fill out your board. But you can watch how close someone else is. Like when I were playing, Mikey was getting a little close to winning. And I noted that <laughs> there was a certain clover that would have fit very nicely on his board. And I took that clover so that, um, oh. it would deny Mikey the opportunity oh. to win. So you uh-huh. mean you were blocking, right? There's oh, some blocking. I mean, it would, I made use of it, so I, it was a perfectly <laughs> legit play for me. But Well, it would have been a legit play whether or not you could use it. I mean, right. if blocking him was more important, it still would have been a legitimate move. I'm yeah, sure Mikey would have wouldn't have seen it that way, though. Yeah. <laughs> See, that way Michael oh, can't no. have it. Oh, no. Ah, see? Oh, that's, that's what I was hoping he wouldn't do strategy, that, Evan. Son. I saw it. <laughs> you pulled a fast one on me, Evan. Not gonna I hit you what. over the head with a shillelagh when you weren't looking. Shy, 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 shy. All right, Ed Povey. All right. Don't be an Evan. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to do exactly an Evan. No! You people are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this game is so cutthroat. Oh, so mean. Make your own luck. That's what uh. I say. But hey, he still won anyway. It's part of the end game strategy. You really do have to pay attention to that as your opponent has only maybe one or two spots left to fill before the end, before he declares victory or she declares victory. Mm-hmm. Then blocking them, or as Ed said, denying them the right tile, even at sacrificing your own position, is definitely part of the play. It, it feels a lot like... um playing rummy or mahjong where like mm-hmm. okay you got your sets and then now you're trying to find that that last piece to go haha rummy or haha mahjong so there's a lot of waiting around like come on 16 at the end, you're, you're like at first like oh, they're all useful practically but now at the end you're like i i needed either this or that to win i get it yeah that is brutal that waiting around at the end is a brutal feeling so now does this game can this game get lonely I think so, although the one main point against it becoming a lonely game is that it plays quickly. Mm -hmm. It's a very fast game. Games are over. I've played them in a matter of three or four minutes, completed a game. 
but otherwise, you can find yourself definitely concentrating a lot on your own board, not really paying much attention to what's going on with your opponent's board until more of the end of the game, like I said earlier. And in that sense, it feels like a bit of solitaire to me to a certain extent. True. You can't really mess with people too much except for, um, say, taking a tile away from that little open pit. Yeah. And if a game is over in three minutes, how did you guys run it on Twitch? I mean, I know we do trivia. Mm -hmm, And so during the game, you'll hear a lot of questions being asked to the audience. So enjoy answering those questions if you're going to go watch us on YouTube. But aside from the trivia, what did you do to stretch out the game? Did you play multiple games? No, we just played a one game. <laughs> it's you're, just you're that's how about long we game take. First? Yeah, you're talking about which game first here. We'll, <laughs> we'll take a three-minute game and take it, make it take 20. Yeah. Yeah, we, we spaced it out nicely. Plus, we blocked Mike a lot. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> added to the entertain, certainly added to the entertainment oh, yeah. value of the, of the show. It is listed as a 20-minute game, and it does take a little time to go through, especially with more players. I'm sure if you were playing yes. this with one or two players, you can knock out a game in probably five or six minutes if everybody would be playing. What did you guys think of the look of the game? Do you think it's a good skin? Is it just a skin? The new edition it, with the clovers and all that, it's definitely more appealing than the older Ravenburger version with just has like the numbers on white squares and somehow the clover uh, motif brings a little life to the game. Is it necessary? No. No. It was a perfectly fine <laughs> no, certainly not. game. Yes. No. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's playing into the stereotypes that there's some kind of luck in behind a four-leaf clover, mm-hmm, which, you mm-hmm. know, fine. But other than that, yeah, <laughs> didn't move me one way or the other. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury lucky numbers. I'll start with Ed. This game can be a very nice diversion for some light gaming. It's easy to learn, very easy to play. So there's definitely an audience that would enjoy this game. It just doesn't include me. So I'm going to have to bury it. Evan? Lucky Numbers is a very quick game, a warm-up game for game night. But it's more luck than strategy, I'm afraid. And there are better warm-up games, I think. So, bury it. And Joe? I'm digging this up. The short playtime is this game's ultimate saving grace. When each game happens so quick, Lady Luck cleans up nicer than usual. If you have thoughts about lucky numbers, come and talk to us. We are on Twitter and Facebook. And check out all our hilarious pics and videos of this on Instagram and YouTube. Our next game up this week is My City, designed by Reiner Nesia, published by Cosmos in 2020, number of players 2 to 4, ages 10 and up, playtime 30 minutes. Okay, Ed, what's in the box? The box features buildings flying into the air over a majestic landscape. They're oddly shaped and ready to land in your city. <laughs> Inside the box, you'll find four game boards that can be used on both sides. 96 pieces, 24 playing cards, and four wooden cubes. And eight envelopes with surprises. And of course, <gasps> surprise the rule of the game. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we find out if my city is a five-star Yelp destination... Evan, tell us how it's played. My City is a competitive legacy game in which you develop a city on your own playing board through the ages. 
The game consists of 24 episodes, beginning with the development of a city in its early pre-industrial stages and progressing through industrialization. During each episode, players will fill their grid with buildings to maximize point advantages. Bonus points are awarded for leaving trees uncovered. Negative points are achieved by leaving boulders exposed and grasslands undeveloped. <laughs> Each episode has different achievement goals for even more bonus point opportunities. Players' choices and actions made during one session of gameplay carry over into the next session, creating a personalized gaming experience. That's legacy for you. Yeah. For players who do not want to have a legacy game for my city, that's fine, because the double-sided game board offers an alternative setup for repeatable play. But we played it in legacy mode. So, are you ready to build your city? I mean, my city? <laughs> you get the point. Well, we got to play this game live, in person, together. Yay. At a table, a physical table. Yes, right before Connecticut started to uptick in COVID cases again. Yeah, I know. We got a couple of nice games in there before we, <laughs> we had to hunker down before, again. Before, before the lockdown hammer comes. Yes, so it was a, it was really nice. I actually picked up this game in an odd place. You know, normally we get our games at conventions or review copies or whatever. I picked this one up at Barnes & Noble just because I was so desperate <gasps> to go out and do something one day. Nice find. Yeah, it was a good find. I actually gave Ed a call on the phone. I was like, Ed, is this <laughs> game worth buying? <laughs> uh, I was like, yes, it's got Reiner Nezia's name on the box. <laughs> Let's check it out. That That's a fair indication, yeah. And also, it was one of the nominees for Game of the Year. This game is very light for a Reiner Nizia game, isn't it? It is. So it's got all these funny shapes. What's that about, Ed? Well, this is kind of like a tile laying game. It kind of reminds you of Tetris in a way, where you have to fill in the spaces that are empty. Or like Bear Park, if you played that one we did a while ago. Yeah, that's what Tangrams are. You mean tangrams, or is the is the like formal name for a Tetris puzzle? Well, tangrams were once a very specific set of seven simple geometric shapes made up of what five triangles, a square, and a parallelogram. And there was a specific formula toward it. But now, sometimes the word tangram is used to just refer to one of those pieces, or a piece that is mm. meant to be used in a game or a puzzle to exactly fit mm -hmm. another shape all right yeah and we've played lots of and we played actually and reviewed several games with tangram components to them mm -hmm. what was that one where mikey did the christmas elf that was a oh yeah. yes exactly oh it was uh, oh my gosh what was the name of the game oh show and tile show and tile thank you ed but yes this game is all tangram shaped city pieces and I was doing something on Instagram, you know, uploading one of our pictures while Ed was mm -hmm. reading the rules. When I came back to the table, Mikey was like, it's basically Tetris. And that really helped a lot. But this is a legacy game. Mm -hmm. How, Ed? Well, at the end of the round, it gives you a little way to score. Whoever scores the most points, yay, gets like end of legacy style game points. But they have to put a sticker on <gasps> your city board that's actually a detriment. And those people who came in last, they get to put bonus points on their board. Can I put whatever I want up there? I'm putting my name. Okay, now, because I came in the first place, I had to put a sticker on my board. Mm -hmm. Oh, more rocks. More rocks making this. Interesting. You, coming in second, got a progress point, but no benefit or negative. Okay. 
You guys, trees in the other department. Here we go and put a tree somewhere tree, on your board. Trees. Here's the rule. Oh, uh, it's a single tree. It's not a double tree. It's a single tree. tree. It's not a double tree. Um, I only stay at double tree. I wrote Evan's screaming eagles. I love it. Yeah, those stickers are actual landscape obstacles. So you want to cover up the rock, but you want to show your trees if you can for extra bonus point. <laughs> because it is a legacy game and there are 24 of these episodes that you play through, it can't get away from you too much because you do have that hindrance you have to place on your board. It's sort of a bit of a catch-up mechanism for the people who did not place first. There are eight envelopes and they suggest that you play each envelope in a sitting. And each envelope contained three scenarios to play three. So they should basically are suggesting you to play three times in a row. And I think that's a nice little thing. I think after you play three times, you're like, okay, I can stop here and call it a good day. I had to write my name on my grid, on my tableau. Mm-hmm. I had to name my, my city. So, you know, and I, I felt bad because once I did that, it's like, well, there's no going back now. Definitely a legacy game. <laughs> I absolutely love that, that feeling of permanence in a game that you actually get to write on a game. You know, how many times mm -hmm. did your parents tell you not to write on something? You actually get to do it and it does feel subversive, which is mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Another fascinating aspect is that you have a deck of cards and they represent the 24 pieces that everybody has access to. Everybody has the same pieces and the deck is going to say that, oh, they're going to come out in a random order, but everybody has to play it in the same random order. But yet, it's highly likely that everybody's going to have a different city at the end of the game. I think a big reason for that is the timed factor. They don't really have a timer, but they do suggest that it be played promptly. Now, Ed and Joe, I know you guys played together. Joe, yeah. uh, how did you fare under that time pressure? I mean, there were enough choices that it was only towards the end of each session that I would have difficulty putting things down. Basically, it's a crunch near the end for like, oh, you've got not that many spots to use pieces in anymore. So now you want to take more time to see if you can squeeze in an extra piece. Well, yes. And there's some other restrictions, like you can't build a building crossing a river, of course. And Evan, what did you think of the recommendation of playing in a prompt fashion? I think it's a good rule to have because you could see this lingering on a bit too long. And I don't want to say it gives anyone an unfair advantage or disadvantage in, in some way, but you, you do want to keep this game moving to a certain degree, whereas there's otherwise no impetus to do so. I honestly thought, oh, this is going to be great, a time thing. I don't have to wait for anybody to take their turn. <laughs> but actually, I found I was the one that was thinking the longest a lot of the time. Uh, I had to get used to the time factor. It probably was the second round where I was really keeping up with everybody. But Evan, it has that simultaneous play that you love. Always like it when everyone can play really all at the same time. Nobody's waiting on one individual to take a turn and let the, t you know, get around to the table back to you. Keeping you active in the game the whole time, start to finish, that's always a plus. What do you think about the strategy? What's the best thing to do? You know, we each took some pretty different approaches, I think. I know I did from everyone else. Most people, you have to start near a river. Your first build must touch a river. That's a rule, not a strategy, right? Yeah, okay. That is a uh, that is a must. Otherwise, you get totally penalized and beaten on the knuckles with a piece of wood. No, <laughs> it, but what I did, most people 
seem to want to play towards the center of the board, which makes sense. You sort of have an outward expansion in a lot of directions from there. Instead, I went with uh, finding the river closest to a corner because I wanted to leave myself um, uh, a lot more options later on that I feel I would have been kind of squeezing myself had I started in the middle. Even though it's a bit of a taking a chance because what if a piece comes up that I can't use or I can't physically fit in, say, one of the corners because there's an obstacle, I can't cross a river like Joe said. Well, in that case, if you cannot, it has to touch a building in order to build off of it. But if you can't and the space doesn't allow for it, you dump the you dump the building, can't use it, minus one point. So that's kind of the worst case scenario. But it's but I think it's worse if you wind up having a bunch of long buildings later on that you can't cover up and you wind up getting all kinds of other negative points as a result. So I invested early in a tighter strategy in one in using the corners and building out from there. Didn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was okay. I, I, I think I another neat feature of the game, because it's a legacy game, it starts off with very simple rules. Here are the basics. Play. Okay, now we're going to add a new twist. Play again. Yes, I love that. Progressive rules. More games yeah. should do it. It is definitely my favorite new thing happening in gaming. Legacy games allow for that because you're like, okay, we're just going to throw you right in the blender and just get running with the very basic rules. And then we're going to add in the complexity in a flavorful way later. And I'll throw in, because in a more general sense on legacy games, you're investing in something. It's like building a character in Dungeons & Dragons. You're kind of investing in it. And legacy is the same feeling to it. It satisfies sort of the same part of my brain, that strategy part of my brain. And I think it also gives you a little bit of a sense of ownership. I think my city worked because it is a legacy. This is mine. I'm building it. It's going to be with me for 24 games. <laughs> the title is, is very appropriate. 24 games. Yeah, 24 episodes for the entire legacy. I think that's actually a good number for this game. It is, and you can see them in the future going to expansions by the next 24, by the next 24 after that. Yeah. You know, you, you could expand on that. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury my city. Evan? I really enjoyed my city. Unlike a grid game like Lucky Numbers, for example, uh, this one requires planning and shifting strategies with each episode. It kept my interest, and I look forward to playing an entire game. Dig it up. Joe? I understand the idea that the cities in question are meant to evolve over time, but I didn't really see that reflected in the art or in the strategic challenges. I enjoyed playing it again, uh, but I don't see it ever becoming one of my favorites, so I reluctantly bury it. Ed? Such a simple concept to get, yet it's an enjoyable puzzle to work at. The one downside I see is a limited interaction with the other players, but the legacy elements make up for it, and, and I'd like to see how this city grows, so I'll dig this up. This is an elegantly simple game, and the timed element is a welcome device. Good for tons of plays as you strive for that perfectly shaped city. Dig it up. What cities do you love? We want to know. Come chat with us on Twitter and Facebook and check out our pics and videos of this game and many more on YouTube and Instagram. Our last game up this week is The Cook-Off, designed by Luis Francisco, published by Funbox Jogos in 2013. Number of players four to six, ages eight and up, playtime 30 minutes. Okay, Ed, tell us what's in the box. 
The cook-off features a steaming pot of delicious food being sabotaged by some unscrupulous chefs. Inside, you'll find six custom kitchens, one round in scoreboard, seven round in score markers, 42 action cards, 54 vegetable tokens, 36 meat tokens, and 18 sabotage tokens. And that's what's in the box. Before we fire up the grill on this review, Evan, marinate us up some rules. The cook-off is a card game with the theme of a cooking competition. We are chefs, are we not? <laughs> oh, we oui, we. Oui. <laughs> Sabotage is the secret ingredient, and there's no shortage of it on the shelf. Want to throw flies into your opponent's dish? Go for it. Want to short circuit one of the stovetops of your opponent's? <laughs> Make it happen. Action cards are the key. All players have the same hand of action cards. Players program their actions by placing three cards face down on the countertop, following the desired order for their actions. Players simultaneously show the first card and take the action. Then, players discuss and decide which order actions take place. In other words, who sabotages who, if possible. Players also at this time have the option to swap their second card with their third card, as long as they haven't been revealed. Once confirmed, all players resolve their second action, and then their third action. After the three actions are resolved, each player returns the played action cards back into their hand, and then they choose three cards again according to their plans for the next round. The competition is 10 rounds long. Add up the victory points, the highest total declares victory, and there can be only one cook-off champion. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Now, you say the competition is 10 rounds long, but it really is 10 long rounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's the legacy game that isn't a legacy game. <laughs> well, we played this thanks to Evan. It was his pick for the uh, digital <clears throat> game this week. And we played yes. it on Tabletopia. Yay! <laughs> Tabletopia, yo! Tabletopia is the format in which you go in and play. No rules locking. Nothing. No rules locking. It's all up to you. You move the pieces, you deal the cards, you clean up the board and the mess, and everything's unlocked and ready to be tinkered with <laughs> on Tabletopia. It's just a virtual tabletop. It's brilliant. It's Somebody programmed the game into it, but yeah, other than that, you're on your own. It is sandbox mode all the way. So you can cheat. <laughs> if you can get away with it, you can cheat. You can draw things in and out. You can mess the whole table up. You can grab other people's stuff, all of which Evan loves adding to the mayhem. And on top of that, okay, on top of the mayhem of Tabletopia, there was the mayhem of this game. <laughs> okay, so for one thing, I went to go look for uh, like a rules video on this game. Yes. There is nothing. <laughs> no. Nope. I don't even know how you got the rules, Evan. Where did you find them? I had to print out the PDF of the English version rules online, and I had them in front of me during the live cast because I couldn't find, you know, I couldn't find a video otherwise. But there was a video, and fortunately I was able to, but it was recorded in Portuguese. Um, <laughs> so I had to turn on the English translation of the YouTube video, oh. which is about, I'd say, 64% accurate <laughs> as far as the amount of words and phrases. Yeah. <laughs> so I was able to cobble together by reading, having the rules written out in front of me, following along with watching the video, and I was able to make enough of a sort of bad attempt at learning the rules. <laughs> 
kind of funny the guys went through all that because I found a rule on the Tabletopia well, site. No, Evan had the PDF of the rules, but there are still some things. He t- he read the rules. He got a translated video, and we were still confused. So you cobbled together an understanding. <laughs> Basically, I think maybe the thing that threw us off the most was what happens between the first action and the second action, in which there's this discussion, basically, in which you, in which players are allowed to make a strategy to determine who is going to be sabotaged, which is sort of the essence of this game, is trying to keep who's ever out in front from getting too far out in front, so everybody should gang up on that person. Yeah. That's effectively, I think, what we learned. Yeah, and it, and it was weird how that part of the rules was written, because it's like, yeah, the players will decide the order that you... Um, how? It was nebulous, yeah. Yeah, it was open to interpretation, no doubt about it. But that was about as close as we think we can get to it. It's not like we can double check it against some no. English version of the of this game played online because it doesn't exist. I almost <laughs> feel like Evan programmed this game in and is punking us all with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you give me too much credit, Celeste. <laughs> Way too much credit. Because that is just how weird and bizarre this game plays. It's called The Cook-Off. And you think that you're going to be trying to cook meals and stuff, which you are, but that's not the essence of the game. Right. I was so busy trying to make steaks and veggies that I wasn't really paying attention to the whole sabotage angle. And that is the whole game. (laughs) They even reward you for it. They give you victory points for successful sabotage. So people need to know that going into this game Mm -hmm. because not everybody is has sort of that level or that type of patience for that type of game. This is not everyone's cup of tea, no doubt about it. There's some people who just avoid backstab games, and this is about as backstab as you can get. The, the, the game could be called The Backstab instead of The Cook-Off, because <laughs> that is really yeah. all it's about. Now, it does give you this board in front of you with pans and a grill. That's your board. Yeah, it's your kitchen. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own kitchen. And everybody's kitchen is a bright neon yellow. What'd you think of that, Ed? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, a little yellow work, but there's so much yellow here that it almost makes everything feel washed out. Or the lettering and numbering is white. So that white and yellow combination, is there's not enough contrast there. And if you have challenging eyes like I do, you could find yourself squinting a lot. That's online, but even in the box game that I'm looking at, it is an all yellow motif. And the cartoon style is a tiny bit off-putting, I would say. It's not the strongest cartoon style. I think the chefs, for example, the pictures of the chefs in each kitchen, they were meant to be cutesy, but they kind of come off as a little bit like... Twisted. Yeah, twisted. That's a good way of putting it. So, the well, I guess, you know, the whole thing is a little twisted, so maybe that was... (laughs) On theme. <laughs> I suppose so. Now, it was very interesting how I, the one thing I'll give it that I liked was that the vegetables cooked up differently than the meats. I actually liked that. You had to flip the steak because steaks take longer to cook than the veggies. And and mm-hmm. that was theme-informing play. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely it was. And it was, it was frustrating sometimes. I'm like, oh, man, I got to take two actions to cook this steak. I only get three actions. When am I going to sabotage anybody? Right. You're you're trying to be the good cook. And here the rest of us are like, oh, get her. Yeah. Yeah. Stop that steak. (laughs) 
It was an interesting element that there's actually um, actions you can play to protect yourself from the sabotage because only particular action can be sabotaged. Yes. I thought that was a good mechanic that you can't be sabotaged all the time, only when you're doing certain things. But there was a little push-pull there because one of the most powerful actions, the double, mm-hmm. there's a risk of losing an item with that because that is one of the sabotageable yeah, and double doesn't give you a fourth action per se. What it does is it doubles one of your other two actions that you're going to play. Mm-hmm. So this is where the programming comes into play in which your order matters. But the convention about being able to switch your second and third position is a good convention. Because let's say you play a double on your first card. And what that means is you're going to double your second card, okay? But something happened, you got sabotaged or someone else got sabotaged you didn't expect, that gives you the opportunity to say, hmm, it'd be better now if I were to double up my third card instead of my second, switch Mm -hmm. it around and get the benefit from it. Let's be honest. Once we figured it out, there were a couple of mechanics that were pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought so. All right, I'm going to bring up something a little controversial here. Okay. Controversy on which game first, (laughs) the cook-off. I think this game has elements... Almost of a co-op, even though it's not a co-op. How? We'll work together to stab that person in the back? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, there is. There's that element of it. Maybe co-op's not the right term. Maybe kingmaker is more the term. More like king stopper. Uh, king mm. stopper. Yeah. Kingmaker, king stopper, perhaps. And especially if you find yourself, if you're three or four player game, if you're reaching towards the end of the game, you realize you don't have, your chances of being able to win are not good and there's a couple rounds left, yeah, you can just kind of go to town on the whole stopping one player to allow another player to to advance. You know, you can really make a king out of someone here. Like a lot of take that game, it's a little better to fly under the radar a little bit because uh, as the stabbing tends to happen to those who are out in the front of the pack. Yeah, yeah, it, it encourages you to not take too bold a lead. You do not want to draw that kind of attention. It's good if you're maybe one or two points behind for most of the game, and then you leap out at the end and, and make your move. So don't point a target on yourself. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and I guess I was minding my business most of the time, and because everybody else was really on backstab overdrive, like Evan was out of his mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the most backstabby game on the most backstabby platform out there. It's like, ah! <laughs> Just go crazy. <laughs> it's true. It is a backstabby platform. Yeah. I didn't mean to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> he just slipped on the blood. Yeah, when the, the stabbing starts, the people tend to keep backstabbing each other, dragging each other down in a way. Which allows some people to just sort of float on by. So there's a little level of psychology involved in this game, yeah. too. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury the cook-off. Evan's secret made-up game. <laughs> Ed? The game works okay as a take that game, but neither its theme nor its botanic really grabbed me, so I'm going to bury it. Evan? The cook-off is all about the backstab, which can be challenging to the spirit of a game, I'll grant you that. Too much backstabbing can drag down the enjoyment factor. I think this game, played with the right group of friends, can be enjoyable. So under those circumstances, I will cook it up. You better 
make a rules video for anybody who plays this game then if you're recommending it. We did. Tabletopia. Watch us play it on <laughs> which game first on YouTube. Yeah, good point. Okay, the cook-off was a convoluted recipe of actions. Too complex for the theme. This kitchen was too messy for my taste. Bury it. If you have thoughts about cooking the cook-off, our YouTube backstabby, backstabby, stabby, backstabby, tabletopia gameplay <laughs> through of this. Come chat with us. Let us know what you think. We are on Twitter and Facebook. And check out our pics and videos. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks so much. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing from you about anything gaming, gaming adjacent. And if you would like more from our show, including our exclusive podcast. Yes, an entire other podcast for patrons only. Bonus points! Bonus points. Just go to our website and become a supporter today. If you have a chance, please leave us a rating, a like, a review on your favorite podcaster as it really helps others find this show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are Witch Game First. Happy gaming, explorers! Extra poison! Bon appetit! <laughs> I built this city on Tan Grand <laughs> Joe, lucky numbers, quick. Oh, 11, 15, 2, 6. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.